Do you have somebody in your life who loves books? Somebody who not only loves books, but always wants to share what she's reading with you, <laughs> thinking that you're just going to love her latest selection. You are going to. It's so good. And inevitably, you just can't stand that book that they suggested. That is us. Oh, yeah. We both read a lot. Well, I don't even read. I listen. But not this time. I read. Oh. And we very rarely agree on what constitutes a good read. I enjoy books that build up new worlds, invite magic and mystery into our lives. Science fiction, fantasy, and robots rule. And this did not have any of those things. It didn't. I listen to a variety, and it's all grounded in reality. You yeah. can keep your elves and space operas. Okay. Welcome to our podcast. You're making me read what? Your hosts on this monthly podcast are myself, Jessica, and my colleague, Christine. We're librarians who get a thrill out of great book, but usually can't stand what the other person is reading. We've each selected some of our all-time favorite books. Each month, we'll alternate between the lists with the goal of persuading the other to enjoy a read she would never have picked up on her own. Even a book that isn't entirely your style may have some redeeming qualities to it, right? I guess we'll see. And I'm going to jump right into the spoiler alert because this is a little tiny book. It is a little tiny book. <laughs> yes. And so we're talking about the whole darn thing. Yeah. I mean, because if not. <laughs> there would we... be nothing there. Exactly. It is a little <laughs> tiny book. Um, and um, as we talked about at the end of the last. Oh, I didn't even do the spoiler alert. Well, yeah, I did. Well, sort of. You gave a variation on a spoiler alert. Yeah. Yes. So if, if you are not going to read Daykeeper by Ron Walker. Um, go ahead and keep listening. But if you think you might read it and we might ruin something for you in the meantime, stop listening now and join us again after you've read the book. Yes. And it won't be that long. It'll be <laughs> catch in 20 minutes. <laughs> Just kidding. It's not quite that short because um, he has shorter works. Um, yes. But um, so as I mentioned at the end of our podcast last month, the reason that I chose this book for this month is um, Ron Walker is the winner of the Indie author pro, uh, project from last year. No, two 20, years ago. 2019. They didn't do it in 2020. They didn't. Yeah. And so, um, and he's from Virginia. So he ooh, represented, ooh. this is a national contest and he represented and he won. And um, so Fairfax County Public Library is also, if you're listening to us in May, White Pages, which is another Ron Walker mm -hmm. book, is FCPL's ebook of the month this month I in celebration of um, indie author project and Ron Walker's prowess. So I, when I was doing my kind of overview research for our podcast this morning, mm -hmm. I read some of the descriptions of his other works. Yeah. And that one sounded fascinating. Yeah. It's about um, a black author, a man, and, you know, he's had some success in his career, but he he is wondering what would happen if he wrote something under a pseudonym mm -hmm. or no. Wait, I only read that. Is that how you say that word? Pseudonym. 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 That Pseudonym. sounds like it's soft if you touch it. Yeah, it does. Pseudonym. You gave it um, and texture. That, and that sounds like you take it if you're sick. <laughs> this is a fun This is a fun podcast. Everyone's enjoying it. Pseudonym. Pseudonym. I'm confident on that one. I believe you and Thanks. I thank you. So he decides he's going to take a pseudonym. Yes. And not for an illness. And he's um, going to define himself as a white author mm -hmm. and see how that changes the the process and the prospects he gets out of it and how it affects his relationships and his writing style and it just sounded like a really interesting read mm -hmm. after having read this particular book so yes pick that one up if you get a chance yes so but the one we are discussing today is daykeeper and um i did not know what a daykeeper is did you look that up no it it just I was like, I wonder why he chose that title. That's a very 
to me. Yeah. Specific title. Uh, a daykeeper is a Mayan shama priest, shaman priest. I don't know how it. Well, how does that tie in? in? I don't know. I was going to ask you. What? What? Come on, go somewhere with that. You can you can tie something, and you're great at that. I could. Okay, so this book mm-hmm. is about uh, a man, mm-hmm. Eddie Ed, um, and his spouse passes away, and the story happens right after she passes, and it's about his process of coming through grief and finding new love and trying to find a balance in your life between, like, how long is it appropriate to mourn? When can you move on? Uh, and mixed in with some kind of academic politics. So maybe <laughs> subtly in between the lines that we didn't pick up, mm-hmm. um, he does that on the side. Hmm. He is a, he is a Mayan shaman. It's very understated if, in, in the fact that it's not stated. I knew this was more my style of book than yours because of the <laughs> hidden shaman aspect. I can't – I don't – I don't know. I feel like maybe I missed something. One of the interesting things with this author uh, and – in case anyone missed it, his name is spelled R-A-N, mm-hmm. and it's pronounced R-R-O-N. R-O-N. Um, so he's got – there's all kinds of fun happening with this Yeah, guy. because if you look at his name, it's Ran Walker, Walker. which Ran Walker. is awesome. Like Daykeeper, Ran Walker. True. But <clears throat> he writes short fiction, microfiction, poetry, nonfiction, and um, really kind of short form works. Yeah. And interspersed in this book, which was a shorter novel, mm-hmm. um, I think it was maybe 130 pages in there, was poetry. Mm-hmm. So maybe this was a, a poetry, mm, like a, I'm not having the right word for it, an allegory. Maybe there's something mm. hidden in there that we just didn't pick up that mm-hmm. it tied back to in one of the poems. It could be. I, I loved the poems. I am not yes. a poetry aficionado. I'm not, I, that's not my gig. Um, but the form that he used in, throughout the book um, is called a quinsaba, mm-hmm. and it's um, an African-American verse, and it was created in 1995 by Eugene Redmond. And the defining features are um, a celebration of family in African-American culture, um, a praise poem. It's, each poem is seven lines mm-hmm. measured into seven words per line, and each written word doesn't exceed seven letters. So I actually wrote one in here because I went through and picked out my favorite one. You didn't write your own? No. Oh, okay. I thought you wrote one and I was that... super impressed. I... Oh, okay. Please. New assignment. New assignment for next time. Write a Quinsaba. Uh, only if we both do it. Accepted. Done. No, I picked my favorite of his poems okay. from the novel Daykeeper. Okay. And it was right around the middle of the story. So... Um, Ed's wife, Charlotte, has passed away. He's kind of reemerging into society. Um, he meets um, – he's a professor at right. a, a local college. And he meets uh, students in his college and begins uh, an affair with her. And it's not an affair. It's just a, a, a relationship. They fall in love. They fall in love. And so this poem is written into the story about midpoint when he's trying to come to terms with his new feelings and this relationship he's in. And he wrote – I don't know why your kisses scare me like goblins beneath old bridges or ghosts that swing from the nooks of huge Dixie Oaks. You hold me like Nina, your spell wicked with desire, drawing me from your cocoon to be born within the beauty of your lips. Isn't that pretty? Yeah. He's, he is an amazing, amazing writer. Yeah. So I, when I was doing a little bit of research about him, um, Oh, and we should also mention that this was published in 2018, mm-hmm. and then the very next year, it 
uh, won the Indie Author Project. So yeah. quick acclaim, you know. I, I'm, now I don't know how long he'd been writing because he does have a lot of work out there. He has 23 separate published items. Yeah, yes. yeah. He's got a huge body of work. Um, but he, he has another book called Keep It 100, which is a collection of 100-word stories. Yeah. And um, I loved this uh, uh, reviewer's um, description. He says, tender and strange, startling and lyrical, witty and nuanced. Ron Walker's stories lingered in my mind long after I finished reading them. His prose is taut, precise, and economical. But each one of these tiny stories is expansive in a way that enlarges the world through an eclectic mixture of distinctive characters and surprising plots. I'm never quite at ease in a Ron Walker story, and that's a good thing. He's a master of the 100-word form. And that's Grant Faulkner, who was the executive director of NaNoWriMo. I can never say that one NaNoWriMo. Right. Thanks. And tell National us what that is. Writer. Ra- National Novel Writing Month. Yes. NaNo National Novel Rimo writing month. Yes, Nano Rimo. Um, so I think that's a fabulous description yeah. of Ron Walker in general. I think he's incredibly economical with his words. Yeah, they are deliberate, meaningful, and they really convey the message in a in a really they pack a punch. Absolutely. He, um, I was poking around on his website a little bit, and you know he grew up in the South and he lives in Virginia now, and he won the Indie Author Project. But he is also a winner of the Black Caucus of the American Library Association Best Fiction Ebook Award. Mm-hmm. He um, won an Afro Afrofuturism Microfiction Award. Uh, he has a bachelor's in English, a master's in publishing, and he got his law degree at George Mason. Nice. So he is he is a local guy, and um, it's so. It's always kind of funny. Like I think about authors as these people who are not part of our little group. Like they're <laughs> they're like celebrities, yeah. right? Like yeah. you see them on the street, you go, oh, 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 so fancy. But he lives right here in Virginia, and yeah. he's publishing these amazing works. And I was trying to when I was reading about his his micro fiction trends. Like poetry is hard enough. Yeah, you are usually fitting into a specific scheme. You know, like a haiku or um, a quinsaba, a quinsaba, and microfiction. You don't even have that structure. You yeah. just set out and you have this little tiny thing you're trying to tell that's impactful and momentous. And the fact that you can publish a whole book of those yeah. is amazing. And I wrote this one down because I can't help it. One of them is called Can I Kick It? Sneaker Microfiction. <laughs> I love that so much. I love that. I have a little brother and he loves sneakers. And wait, wait, wait. Is he little or younger? He's taller than me, so I guess he's not little anymore. And he's 18, so I guess he's not that young. But for me, he is my little brother forever because I used to dunk him in the pool. Yes. But a whole book of micro stories about sneakers. (laughs) What an amazing collection. Uh, For things like if you have a reluctant reader, can you imagine having that to give to someone? Spoiler alert, Kenny, I think I know what you're getting for Christmas or your birthday. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, my my tiny little brother who's taller than me now. So... I know that as I was reading this book for the second time, um, I was thinking to myself, yeah, this isn't really Jessica's gig because I know you want stuff to happen. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't a lot of stuff to happen. This was the struggle of um, Ed really trying to figure out loyalty to his um, deceased wife. Mm-hmm. And it it struck me how tender his memories are of her and how um, – he just was really having a hard time. Like I feel, I felt like this was such great 
character development. You mm-hmm. really saw his struggle. You saw Tanya's struggle. Mm-hmm. So he, she's the student that um, yeah, they fall in love. They fall in love, and and I think it's done in a very believable way where no one's pulling any. You know, yeah. The 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 age difference when you look at it just on its you know at yeah. first sight you kind of go ooh because yeah. he's in his four he's twice her age yes but she is unbelievably sincere she sees him suffering yep. she knows that his wife has just died and one of the things that i the sentences that really i it spoke to me is she says he says why are you making me dinner and her answer is just this because you seem like you could use it what a lovely thing to say. And yeah. so, you know, she's sincere about her intentions, yeah. but they're super ambiguous and he can't read them. Yes. And I think that might be a factor of age difference as well and sure. being in different spaces in their life. So your your comment about, you know, this not really being my cup of tea, absolutely accurate. The kind of no defined ending story points, mm-hmm. not really what I typically read. And I appreciated that this was a shorter novel for that. Yeah. I It was compacted enough that I felt like I could concentrate on it and not get lost wondering, okay, wh- wh- where are we going with this? What's going to happen? Where Where's the plot line moving? Because there was certainly a plot line in here mm-hmm. about growth and change, but it wasn't uh, epic, which right. is, is my usual deal. You know that. But it was it was nice. I like the short format novels for this because you can put all your energy and attention into it and you know you, you kind of know that there's an end point coming so yeah. you can just go with it. Yeah. And he had enough very minor side characters. So mm-hmm. like his brother Marcus, mm-hmm. uh, such a dingy. Just <laughs> such a dingy. But he's awesome. Like yes. he's, he's super realistic. Like that's another thing that I loved. Everybody yeah. was realistic. Oh, yeah. The language that you use yeah. and the people that you talk to and, you know, sitting in traffic and calling up your brother because you know he's going to entertain you while you're sitting in traffic. Right. Yeah. That's something we all do, right? We have moments like that. Don't tell my husband. He will get very angry that you're driving in on your phone. But well, that's for another day. It's speakerphone. I know. Speakerphone. It distracts your brain. Oh. It's my PSA. Okay, okay. done. Soapbox. P- PSA soapbox complete. Yes. I enjoyed that in this book. Yeah. And I thought that when I started reading this, it made me really sad. And it mm. didn't even take me that long. So I started last night and I finished this morning because it really is just a really short book. And yes, that's my normal process. You usually start the morning of. This is early for a tiny little book. I have an infant at home now. I have to make sure <laughs> I parcel my time out appropriately. Um, so the book starts off and... Ed is working um, through the process of his spouse passing away from cancer, and um, I'm married, mm-hmm. and I don't like to think about that. I do right. not want to think about what would happen if my spouse got sick or was no longer with us. But, you know, these kinds of stories where it is all about the emotional impact and the the character process force you to put yourself in their shoes. Yeah. And, oh, I hated it. Hated it. Yeah. Don't don't want to do that. Very happy with my husband. Yeah. Um, I love you, Stephen. So he better be listening now. There's, But it stories like this, they make you do that. Yeah. You have to think about – there's one point in here. His wife Charlotte has passed away. He hasn't begun his involvement with Tanya yet. And he's laying in bed, and it's been, I don't know, a month or two, and wondering to himself why the worst part of this all is the loneliness. Yeah. That the fact that she passed away is hard, but there had been like a year-long struggle to get there. Yeah. 
But the fact that he was alone now and that you have to deal with this by yourself. You don't have a partner anymore. You don't have somebody to talk to. And unless someone else has gone through this process, who's going to who's gonna have the same type of empathy about how lonely you feel? Yeah. That spoke to me. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. That line actually jumped out to me, too. And I think yeah. it was something to the effect of, and I feel bad butchering his very precise language, but he says something like, the loneliness is the worst part of being alone. Yes. And that's an interesting distinction yeah. and a, a critical distinction. Um, and I think that that is what his writing does. He he is able to parse out exactly um, the right word for the moment. Yes. Um, the other thing that I agree with everything you said and the other thing that made me super sad was he goes back to um, his school, his university, mm-hmm. and it's a fictitious um HBCU. And he goes back and all of his colleagues, you know, slap him on the back. Hey, it's nice to see you. Uh Shakes hand. And not one of them attended Charlotte's funeral. And it just goes to show that how bad we do death in this country. Mm. We just we don't know what to do. We don't we are so afraid and afraid to do the wrong thing that we don't do anything. And that's worse. Yep. So um that is another struggle. He's lonely even in his own environment because the people around him are struggling with how to help him and they don't know how. I agreed with that. I Both of my parents have passed away. Mm-hmm. You, you know this. Our podcast people don't know this. Surprise. Um, they both passed away when I was in my 20s. Yeah. And they passed away uh, one right after the other within about a year. Mm-hmm. And um, with my father, um, we knew it was... We knew it was coming. And so people had a chance to kind of plan and process and think about how they were going to respond and react around it. And with my mother, it was a um, much shorter time frame. It was not anticipated. And the different types of, like, the cards that you get and mm-hmm. how people talk to you and how, how services go, it is – It is. I, I have a lot of sympathy for people who are trying to find a, a calm and sympathetic manner – when you're talking to people about about death mm-hmm. because everybody reacts differently and yeah. everybody's got they're in a different place and they've got different feelings and it's just so hard yeah it is so hard yeah. to talk to people about it right yeah absolutely um I, and i think that that he was very sympathetic and he shows the awkwardness and the loneliness and then the other thing that struck me in this is that um ed's in-laws don't like him they've never uh, yes. liked him so they just cut him out. As soon as Charlotte, yep. who was their only link, yeah. dies, they're done with him. Yeah. And so he really is. And Marcus is his only, as far as we know, his only relative. Yep. His parents are never mentioned. So he's really isolated. And so then when this sweet gal, Tanya, mm-hmm. shows some compassion and some kindness, yeah. and then he struggles Again, going back to your point about the age difference, and he hasn't dated in 15 or 17 years yeah. since he and Charlotte dated, he doesn't know how to interpret it because he's like, is this a generational difference? Have I been out of the game for such a long time that I don't know? She's being nice to me. And yeah. Marcus well, she, is like, ooh, she's into you. And he's like, ah, Well, she's like, she's she's DMing him. And he's like, well, what do I, how do I interpret this text message? Right. Like, what does a winky face mean? How do I, how do, what do I do with this information? How do I process it? Right. And so at one point they have uh, a moment where they're, they have, um, they've had sex and then they, they're not together anymore. And there's like a week where they don't talk and he is paralyzed. Yeah. He, he cannot figure out like, should I, 
Should I call her? Should I text her? Should I leave it alone? Like, what does she want from me? And by the time they finally reconnect, it was it was an easy coming back together yeah. because they were both willing to talk through it. I don't know that that was entirely realistic. Right. I think most times it's it's certainly harder for people to come to a similar wavelength on communications, uh, even particularly if you're having those generational barrier issues. Right. But it was a nice part of the storyline that they were able to come around on that. Yeah. Uh, another part of the storyline that was really sad was you learn early on in the book that um, Eddie and his spouse Charlotte had had a stillborn child. Yeah. And then and that so that's just one more layer to his loneliness. He doesn't have any children. His wife has passed away. He doesn't have his wife's family. His brother lives across the country. And as you get further into the book, you find out that Tanya um, has a miscarriage. Right. And it's like this repetitious storyline of sadness for him. But at the end, they're able to move past it and find a little bit of happiness in the now. Yeah. And I, I, I picked up on that throughout. Like he was devastated when his wife passed away, but he was able to pick himself back up and find the joy in little moments. He he talked about stepping outside and feeling the breeze on his face. Yeah. And I think we can all relate to that. You know, yeah. there are horrible things that happen to us and there are just little things. You can go outside and see the red buds booming. Um, Right now, you can go and smack cicadas off a tree. That will give you a lot of joy. It's just different things that, you know, that bring us happiness. Right. And with every hardship that he encounters, he's able to pull it back up. Yeah. You know, one of the things in here that I found myself relating to a lot was the um, kind of the academic politics of it. Oh, yeah. That's pretty funny. I didn't relate to it at all, but it, it goes back to... One of our first podcast books, The Straight Man, I know. which was always also Richard academic. Russo. Yes, um, and <clears throat> yeah, it it <laughs> it sounds kind of cutthroat, doesn't it? It does. It does. So um, you know, Eddie is a professor in the um, African and African American Studies Department, and somebody writes a, a a review on an article that he wrote that is is scathing, scathing. and so then he writes. A follow-up review, and then it turns into this turf war. It's and they're this in whole the same thing. university. Of course they are. They're supposed to be colleagues, <laughs> right. but they are just – they're using these articles to build up their own resume so that they can request tenure because it doesn't matter what you write. You just need to right. have things published. I just thought that was a very funny little undertone in there yes. of like, okay, yeah, that's a that's a thing. A nod to the craziness <laughs> of life. Yes, for sure. Well, <sighs> what are you going to – I have a sense that this is the shortest thing that we are going to read in a long time uh -huh. because your stuff tends not to be short. It's not that long. Okay. My next one's not that long. Okay. It's good. Yeah? I'm building it up. Have you have you do you have it yet? I will not say one way or the other. Have you How could I have something I don't know what it is? Tell me what it is. Mm, okay. <laughs> so, next month we're going to be reading a book which is drastically different than Daykeeper. Um <laughs> Both good. Both good. And it's called Set My Heart to Five by Simon Stevenson. And it is about... Drumroll. Drumroll. I don't know if you can hear that. The drumroll. Drumroll is happening. So it's about... It's set in 2054. Of course. And it's about an android, a bot. And he's a dentist. And um, in this society, um, androids have taken over like all the work that people don't really want to do. And so he's a dentist. And I wrote a quote down because it amused me and I thought I should lead in with it. Huh. So this is directly from the book. 
The other reason why dentistry is ideal work for bots is that no human wants to do it anymore. Humans prefer jobs that are creative, social, clean, luxurious, and can be completed from a home office between breakfast and lunch. They strongly dislike jobs that require an actual office, weekend work, children, blood, screaming, and the mouth of strangers. So there you go. That's a little snippet. So I, I was puzzled. You did tell me the, the basics of this book before. Mm -hmm. um, so when I pretended to be surprised, that was insincere. <laughs> um, and I've been wondering, because you are not fond of dentists. No, so the or idea robots. That yes. This is like all badness happening to you at the same time. It is. But I'm not going to give away the storyline. But a general synopsis is this, this bot is a dentist. Mm -hmm. And he, um, the main difference between people and bots is that bots don't feel emotions. Sure. They are, they look like people, they act like people, they just don't have kind of the, the sympathetic resources there. And he uh, finds himself starting to feel emotions. And he goes on this journey of self-discovery where he is going to write the great American screenplay that puts bots in a favorable light sure. where they're the hero so that people don't just go around destroying them all. Yes. It sounds so he both, like a book. He both leaves dentistry behind <laughs> and is trying to become more human. Well, I might have I might have to get my defenses up for the dentists of the world, but we'll talk about that later. Yes, this is going to be a uh, dental debate heavy podcast next month. Interesting. Yes. Um, and on that note, <laughs> thanks for joining us on your Making Me Read What? Even if this book wasn't your cup of tea, there are millions more where that came from. And don't forget, you can always grab these books and lots more at your local library. Please join us next month when we will be discussing Set My Heart to Five by Simon Stevenson. Thank you and keep on reading. <laughs>